Hey there, Charity Robertson here, pastor of Mosaic Church. I'm so glad you've decided to join us or check us out with our YouTube channel and our YouTube playlist from our Easter Sunday service. We did meet in person on Easter Sunday. We are doing that at the Women's Club of Clayton, meeting together there with masks and being socially distant from one another. Um, but unfortunately, we had a little bit of technical difficulty and the sound was terrible on our recording from Sunday morning. So I am re-recording uh, the sermon portion, the scripture reading here for you uh, from my home office again, as you've been seeing me um, lead and speak um, and um, proclaim the sermons in previous videos. What that means is that you just get to see me. <laughs> we had other folks who had a beautiful service, other folks that read scripture and offered prayers, um, but you will get to experience the songs that we shared and that we played during um, worship together. Um, this morning, our scripture reading, uh, or yesterday morning, our scripture reading came from the book of Luke that we've been in for the last few months, um, starting in chapter 23. Uh, starting at verse 53, Luke 23, verse 53. He's talking about the body of Jesus here. Then he took it down, his body, wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid it in a rock-hewn tomb where no one had ever been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed, and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? that the son of man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the 11 and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed like an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home amazed at what had happened. This morning, we join the women and the disciples with a lot in common with them. <laughs> a lot of the same feelings and emotions. We come with a mix of anticipation of hope or grief a little duty, and even need for ourselves. We continue in Luke as the women join the men who are carrying Jesus's body to the tomb. These women are grieving too, but they know that they will be the ones who have to take care of the body later on. They wanted 
take care of his body. That's part of their duty and they're grieving. And so they cannot turn away, but instead they follow him. But then they have to celebrate Sabbath and no work is allowed. Caring for the dead body of a beloved is considered work by the church of the day. That day in the middle must have felt awful. Can you imagine living the trauma of watching Jesus beaten, publicly humiliated, watching him die, a torturous and demoralizing death, and then knowing that you need to go care for his body, need to take the next necessary steps, but you can't do anything but just sit with your grief. So these women are up early and headed to the tomb to take care of the body of Jesus, the first chance that they get. As the sun is rising on the next day, they're there to take care of him. The invention of funeral homes and how we process uh, for a funeral is, is a very new concept in history. In Jesus's day, and still in many cultures around the world, the care of the body is the job of family members, specifically, usually women. They clean and prepare it with perfumes. But when these women get to the tomb, there is no body to care for. This was the last thing they expected to happen. And they began to be panicked amongst themselves, wondering what's happened. But before they have too long to think about these things, they are joined with two men in dazzling clothes. I love this description. What kind of dazzling are we talking about here? Porter Wagner, Liberace, Jojo, or, or just a good bedazzled outfit? Or maybe something otherworldly that we can't even comprehend? I think it was probably the latter. In the middle of all of this sadness, in the middle of this brutality, and the grief, God sends these messengers that seem to not be able to read the room when picking out their wardrobe, but, but that's really the point. They're signifying something incredible has happened. The room has changed, heck, the world has changed, and dazzling clothes is the only thing appropriate. Of course, they run back to tell the disciples, the men, because they're so overwhelmed, so excited. It's all coming together for them. They understand what this has been about. They understand something incredible has happened and the world will never be the same. And the men just think they're talking crazy. Sounds like idle tales to them. But Peter, who has just a little hope that this could be true, goes to the tomb to find out for himself. He doesn't really believe what the women had to say, but he's too amazed at what it could be possible. He's amazed then at what he finds, nothing but some linen that would have wrapped Jesus's body. There are so many ways this speaks to us today, but as I've sat with these scriptures, I felt like there were, there were three ways it speaks to us that just kept rising to the surface for me. First, know that grief, hope, and joy will always be all mixed together. You know, if you've ever walked through real grief, it is hard to tell where the grief begins and ends. Sometimes it's just, it keeps sneaking up on you in ways you don't understand. 
and the middle of the grief, hope springs up. It doesn't negate the grief. It just exists alongside it. And joy comes along feeling inappropriate. Shouldn't I just be sad? Should I be overwhelmed with grief? I shouldn't be feeling hope and joy. It's true with grief around the death of people we love and lost, but it's also true for lost relationships. It's true when it comes to grieving parts of our lives that have ended. A new school, a new job, a new understanding of yourself, a a dream you had that you realize will never come true path of life you didn't expect to be on. Right now we feel it when we look over the last year. We realize all that we've lost and all that we've gained at the same time. Grief, hope, and joy are all mixed together. And when the grief, hope, and joy are all mixed together, sometimes it it won't be clear what needs to die for resurrection to happen. And so sometimes it just feels like overwhelming grief. Sometimes we will work so hard to keep something alive, to make something happen, because the hope and joy have not come in yet. We will fight to keep this thing from dying, from ending, from going away, because we cannot imagine life without it. So secondly, I would say we see that death always has to come before resurrection. The miracle doesn't happen until there are no other options. Just when it feels like the grief will overtake you, hope and joy show up in dazzling ways. Grief sneaks up on you, but so does hope and joy. But you have to experience the grief first. There's an old bluegrass song written by Earl Scruggs entitled, Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven, But Nobody Wants to Die. The first chorus of the song says, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Lord, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to die. I long for the day that I'll have a new birth instead of grieving here on earth. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. We all want the promises of heaven. We want the new possibilities. We want to believe that things can be better. We want a new life here, but we're not willing to give in to the death that brings those about. We're holding on to the grave clothes so tight that we will not let them go. And with those grave clothes held so tightly, we miss new life. We miss heaven. We miss new possibilities. We miss second and third and fourth chances because we cannot imagine life beyond this moment of grief. It's too terrifying to let go of it a little, to just not let it be so consuming. We're in a season of re-entering the world. The culture has been reshaped and it is never going back. This church and all churches have been reshaped this year. Parts have been buried in the grave and it's time for a resurrection. We can cling and grieve to what was or we can lean in and embrace the new. The same with our lives. What are the grave clothes that we're clinging to that are keeping us from experiencing joy and hope? Let me be clear, you can grieve without clinging. 
Sometimes you have to jump before you have the place to land. Sometimes things don't unfold in a way that seems to make sense. Sometimes there's times of quiet where you wonder if the tomb will ever open. Is life possible? Sometimes you have to let up on the grave clothes. You have to let them go to give up on what was in order to create space for what is possible. It would be so much easier <laughs> if we always knew what was next. If we had the certainty of the relationship before we fell in love or the certainty of love again before we leave now. If we have the certainty of success down a certain career path, if we have the certain uh, certainty of success and a new job before we leave the one we're currently in. But the truth is sometimes we don't know what the risk is going to be and whether it's worth it. Sometimes we have to leap before we're certain. You have to let go of the grave clothes before you know what you will do next. That is the faith. But in that space, there is resurrection. Finally, I would say know that there will always be skeptics. You will always have skeptics. The women had it. We know the disciples had it after this encounter all the way through the New Testament. You have experienced this powerful thing. Maybe it's the grief you need to, to share, or maybe it's the miracle of hope and joy that's begun to make an appearance in your life. Maybe it's a moment of clarity a moment where you lay down the grave clothes, where you take the risk, where you jump, where you are caught up in the dazzling clothes of whatever has become so clear to you. And there will always be people, usually clinging to some grave clothes of their own, that will want to caution you, want to judge you, want to warn you. It may. Try to sound like the voice of, a, of wisdom, a voice of reason, but you know deep down it's not. In your heart, you know you have seen something more dazzling and you're willing to risk everything for what might be possible. Don't let them keep you in your place. Don't let them work out their issues on you. Not everyone is ready for resurrection. Remember, you can keep grieving while you experience hope and joy. You can still grieve what was while holding out the hope for more. While building a world that makes it all possible. And this, this is how God makes beautiful things out of us, out of the ashes of our lives. When we think there's nothing left to give, no hope left, beautiful things happen because God is still a God of resurrection. That's the hope this morning. Whatever you're feeling, whatever is in your soul, know that we still serve a God that is the God of resurrection. We serve a God who loves us and loves making beautiful things out of our lives, out of our world, and out of our church, out of our community. 
God is still in the business of resurrection and invites you this morning to believe the impossible could be true. Amen.